Ramblers, Andy Brassel here and welcome to the latest Ramble Meets where my guest is the fantastic filmmaker Asif Kapadia. Now you might have heard Asif on the airways recently after the passing of the great Diego Maradona because as many of you will already be aware he wrote and directed the brilliant eponymous documentary about Maradona's years in Naples which was released last year to some acclaim and Asif and I got to talking a few months back uh, during the first lockdown and I already knew he was a huge football fan but what became even clearer over the course of our chat was that he was as enchanted by El Diego as any of us despite spending hours and hours wading through tons of footage from those vintage years in the making of the film. We talked about Diego's trajectory in Italy, about Asif's meetings with him and how the Maradona story fits into the canon of Asif's other work which includes of course Senna and Amy. The magic of the Napoli era is beautifully captured in the film called simply Diego Maradona, which if you haven't seen or if like me, you just want to watch it again to relive it all, it's available on all four Channel 4's digital streaming service for free at the moment. It's a brilliant monument to the player that you all know that the Rambled loved and continue to love so much. And it was a real thrill being able to talk it over with the man who made it and still has so much enthusiasm for its subject. This is Ramble Meets Asif Kapadia. So uh, tell us, Asif, how did the idea of the film come about in the first place? So I had previously made two other films, um, Ayrton, a film about Ayrton Senna, Senna, and I made a film about Amy Winehouse. And then the opportunity came along to make a film about Diego Maradona. And I'm a big football fan. I've grown up watching football, playing football. And, you know, for people of my age and my generation, you know, the most complex, brilliant troubled player who really got to the top but also has hit really low kind of rock bottom at times is Diego Maradona and so when the chance came it just seemed like that would if I'm going to do a football film he's the character to make the film about. Well it's funny you should mention the chronology of Senna and Amy which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are aware of anyway. I mean I was explaining this um to my wife after I'd gone and seen one of the previews at the cinema uh, of, of, of the Maradona film. And uh, I was explaining it to her who had a, a casual understanding of Maradona because she's not a massive football fan. And I, I was saying how without even having any knowledge of how you got from doing a film on Amy Winehouse to Maradona, it made a lot of sense straight away because there are quite a lot of overriding themes in their lives that that you seem to bring out in the story or, or I don't know maybe they bring themselves out in the story that there's the sense of this unbearable media pressure and a confident person who it's only a, a clear to other people until far too late that, that they're under this intolerable strain. Yeah it's really interesting because I would say that Senna is like this Latin American hero. Amy was this troubled genius who, you know, had a real issue with addiction and real trouble with in terms of the media. Mm. And actually Maradona's a bit of both, right? He is the Latin American hero. He's the guy who is like the hero to Argentina, the hero to the nation of Naples. But also he's someone who comes from a certain background, who has issues, obviously personal issues, which manifest themselves when given the universe by, you know, turned into a god and no one says no to him. He's That's going to be great for him, but it's also not going to be really good for him. Mm. And I think, so he's in a way, he's the meeting of the two people. He's the meeting of Senna and Amy, multiplied by a character who's 
in a, his own way just goes on forever and is sort of indestructible. Um, and that's what makes him unique. So, I mean, we'll come onto that idea of the, the separation that's made in the film between Diego to his friends and family and, and Maradona, almost the superhero cape in, in a little bit. But let's go back to the beginning. When you said you got the opportunity to do the film, what did someone offer you access to an archive of footage or someone said, this is what we want you to do next? How did that work? Yeah, so actually, I would say for me, the beginning of of the idea of doing a film about Diego Maradona came from when I was a film student in the mid 90s, I read the Jimmy Burns book, Hand of God. Oh, yes. And it was really that book and reading that and understanding where he came from and how how tough his upbringing was and understanding all of the drama and chaos everywhere he went. And and actually finished that book, and I remember thinking, God, wouldn't it be great one day to make a film about Diego Maradona? So for me, the beginning of the kind of germ of the idea is in the mid-90s when I read Jimmy's book. Then it took many years, and I went off and I made Senna, and I made Amy, and actually after Senna, a producer got in touch saying, look, I think there's a real amazing kind of cachet of sort of footage of Diego Maradona. Would you be interested in making the film? And having just made a film about Senna and, you know, a Brazilian sporting hero, I wasn't ready if I was ready to go straight into the, you know, Argentinian sporting hero. So I actually passed on it back then. Went off and made Amy, did a few other things. Then the project came round again via my producers. And at this point, it was really the footage that started it off. It, there was this material which had been shot somewhere. It existed outside of Naples. The backstory appeared to be, uh, Diego's first agent, Jorge Sister Spieler, he had the idea of filming Diego Maradona because he thought Maradona is going to be a massive global star. And at the time, we're talking about the late 70s, just going into the early 80s, football, everyone still was dreaming about this idea of football break in America. So you had, you know, Pele and Beckenbauer and Georgie Best and people like that playing in North America in, in the US. So he thought, if I shoot a film, about a young Diego Maradona just before he goes to Barcelona, absolutely, we will break America. So he hires two Argentinian cameramen to start shooting in Argentina. They follow him to Barcelona, thinking this was going to be the making of him, and obviously it becomes a bit of a disaster. Those cameramen then carry on filming and go to Naples. Jorge gets fired by Diego, as most relationships with Maradona somehow will end in, a, in an argument and a disagreement. The cameramen probably didn't get paid or something. They run away with the tapes because they're owed money. And those tapes sit in a cupboard for 20 years, 25 years. And we, my producers become aware of these tapes. And that's where the beginning of the process becomes. My producers get in contact with Diego Maradona. Luckily for us, he had seen Senna, really liked it, was a big fan of it and Senna. Amy, while we were doing the negotiation, Amy wins an Oscar. <laughs> Diego Maradona's Facebook page has a picture of me with an Oscar saying, this guy just won an Oscar. His next film is about me. We're still negotiating at this point. So all of these things, all of these other films actually played a part in me getting the chance to make the film about Diego. So was it always the plan to focus so heavily on what he did at, at Naples or was that simply where all the footage led you? I think that was a really part of the process. Um, to understand him, we had to research everything. Him growing up, him in Buenos Aires, him in Villafarito, Argentinos Juniors, Boca Juniors, what happened in Barcelona, what happened after Naples. But um, 
the challenge was to kind of try to conflate it all into one movie to try and take all of these stories. And actually what's interesting is all of these characters, Senna, Amy, they all have a very different journey in life. What I would say about Maradona is he has a really interesting kind of circularity about the way he will go somewhere. Everyone will love him. There'll be great hope. There'll be this amazing entrance when he arrives and he does something fantastic and the audience love him. The crowd love him. He picks an argument. The arguments get worse and worse. He leaves. Whether or not he leaves because he wants to leave or whether he leaves because something goes wrong, it all ends badly. He goes off to the next town. They all love him again. It's fantastic. And that cycle essentially continued everywhere he went. And what we found when we were doing our research was the biggest cycle was Napoli. He stayed in one place, in one club for seven years. He's never done that before or since. He mm. won every major trophy he ever won there. He wins the World Cup, wins the Scudetto with Napoli, who have never won before or since. And then also his real issues and problems of addiction, his personal problems, that's really where they begin and that's where he changes. And so it felt like that was the story. We also happen to have exclusive footage, more footage of that period than anywhere else. So that's really the idea. Mancato l'intervento, Maradona cerca di approfittarne, mette al centro gol di Careca. Gol di Careca, Napoli in vantaggio. Maradona e Careca hanno approfittato. C'è il grossolano errore di Nachweite che manca clamorosamente. So was the groundwork for you talking to people who knew him the best and getting to grips with his people and places as well as the actual footage itself. I mean, did you did you get to know uh, Fiorito and did you get to know Naples a bit more? Yeah, I mean, the, the way these films are made, really there's three things happening at the same time. We do a lot of research, read up everything, talk to people. So there's research and essentially concentrating on visuals. How do we show the story? How do we turn this into a movie? Then secondly, interviews, talking to all of the key people, including, in this case, Diego himself, who I went to see many times. And then the third thing is we're editing. So we're editing at the same time as doing the research. And this whole process meant going to Buenos Aires quite a few times, going to Naples quite a few times, going to Dubai, where Diego was living, talking to people in Spain, talking to people, you know, essentially spreading the net wide, researching everything. And then saying, okay, how do we focus this down? What is the key moment in his life? What is the key period? And it seemed like a lot of the people that knew him best that were popping up in all of the footage were from Argentina. So people like, you know, his ex-wife, Claudia, was really key. Signorini, we kept seeing him in the footage. He wasn't really that well known, I would say, but he was the trainer who was there throughout Diego Maradona's life. He was his personal trainer that concept I'd never really heard of with footballers before. He was playing in a team sport, but he had his own personal trainer because he knew he was different. And that trainer would give him books to read and work on his mind and his psychology. Way ahead of anyone thinking about doing that in England, I felt. He was training Diego's mind to succeed and to kind of control him, to kind of focus his energies. And then there's people like Daniel Larcucci, who's Diego Maradona's biographer, who spent more time with Diego than anyone, really. So these were the voices that came out. They're the people we went to meet, and they're the people who had the stories, but also often had a lot of the footage that no one's seen before. I mean, one of the biggest testaments to the atmosphere of the film and how what how it successfully creates itself is the fact that I think it'll be really familiar to people who know the city. I, I mean, I think from the very first scenes, you get the complete mania 
of Naples. Maybe it's because it's almost done, his arrival for the opening press conference is almost like a, a car chase, isn't it, through the streets? It's, it's, it's a bit Italian job, really. And it reminded me something of um, Ezekiel Levetsi said when he'd arrived at Paris Saint-Germain from Naples. And he, he sat there and he said, oh, yeah, life's, life's much better here in Paris, you know, because I can just go to a shop on the Champs-Élysées and no one bothers me. You know, whereas if I wanted to go to a shop in Naples, I'd be shoved in the back of a car. They'd close the shop. They'd sneak me in under a blanket. And this was Levetti. This wasn't Maradona. And then afterwards, he'd go back under a blanket with his bags back into the boot of the car and get driven home. And Levetti was saying how crazy that was. But then there was this little pause and you could tell that he he actually missed it. I mean, is that sort of craziness, do you think, that's in the era in Naples? Is that something that that Maradona was quite addicted to? I think, look, I think you put your finger on it, really, Andy, because, yeah, that's the love-hate relationship, isn't it? Naples is a beautiful, incredible, wonderful, crazy, intense... I mean, just spend a few days there, a few weeks there, and, like, you feel it. You are different. You are acting differently. It makes you different because everything's slightly different rules in Naples, and that's now, and that's me being the nobody. Can you imagine being Diego Maradona in the 80s there? So... He needed Naples. Naples needed him. They needed a hero. They needed a star. And that's really a big part of us focusing on that period because that's the big story. Barcelona didn't need him. They kind of want to own people like him. Then they get bored and they get rid of him and the next one will come along. And actually, even then, Barcelona was not the team that had won the championship for a long time. They were not the Barcelona of now. They weren't the Messi era, were they at all? So so the, the kind of character of Naples, the film is as much about Naples as it is about Diego. And, and and we decided to focus on that and try to get across the intensity, the love, the passion. Within a Latin country, Naples is on another level, you know. And so that was that's something I'm always interested in, kind of to understand a culture and to spend time there to meet people. And it's just different. There's nowhere like it. But you're right, once it's gone, you're going to miss it. They miss him. I'm sure he misses Naples. But you also have with Naples, particularly at that point in the 80s, you've got what's going on on the pitch and you've got what's going on after dark, you know, in street corners, in hotels, yeah. you know, in the back streets, which was Naples was peak Naples in the 80s because there was a war going on between different Camorra gangs. And Diego Maradona, the kind of most expensive player in the world, ended up going to a city that was full of passion, needed a hero, but was also the most dangerous place probably in Europe at the time, one of the poorest places in Europe at the time, and and, and, and a city that's never won a trophy, a major trophy, and he's going to take on the Northern Giants. It's just, again, you couldn't make it up. That's one of the great things about these documentaries is when you look at Ayrton Senna's story or Amy's story, if you'd written it as a script, you almost wouldn't believe it. And Maradona's is the ultimate. You know, You just couldn't believe the things that he did and achieved. I think the really interesting thing is that you, you get across in the, in the in the film is the little tells from Maradona, especially at the beginning, like the fact that history tells us that Maradona conquered Naples, Maradona ran Naples or ran Napoli at, at least as, as 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 the football club. The fact that he came there and he transformed um, this provi- passionately followed, but 
provincial team into a champion team, which, as you say, didn't happen before or since. But there, there were two things that really struck me in the in the opening part of the film when I was I was rewatching it recently when it was out again on Channel Four. Um, it was where he's being interviewed on the plane over, and uh, one the journalists went, "What do you expect?" And he said, "I expect peace." You think? Really? You know, retrospectively, that sounds absolutely crazy. And the other thing is, when they've got the press conference and uh, Corrado Feleno, the, the, the president, is telling everyone to get back or he'll, he'll cancel the press conference, is where he gets that asked that question about the, the Camorra and how does um, Maradona feel that, you know, basically his move has been funded by mafia m- money and Feleno gets really quite angry about it defends the club and the city, gets a round of applause from a lot of the locals. And the camera just switches to Maradona's face. And he is thinking, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, what what you've, you know, this is our job in a way. Uh, we're storytellers, right? Our job is to take a real life or take this footage and put it together in a way that reveals character and reveals the story. So he was asked a lot of questions on that plane flying over to Naples. Mm. And obviously what happens is that we work out the film, we edit it, and we look at the interview and go, well, what are the key things that are said that actually tell you where we're about to go in this journey? The idea that he was leaving Barcelona because he had a hard time to go to Naples to have a bit of peace. And the other thing that he says that's really important is respect. And if you look for a word that is really important to Diego Maradona, it's respect because of where he's come from, because he's come from real poverty, because he came from the street, because nobody cared about people like him. His whole thing is, you only care about me now that I'm famous, right? You didn't care about me when I was living in Via Farito. You didn't care about me when I was living in a shack. So he wanted to go somewhere where he would be respected. So that's just as important as the tranquility. He didn't get the tranquility and the peace and quiet. (laughs) A hell of a lot of respect. And then the other thing, yeah, the the press conference is key as well. You know, this is kind of famous. I'd read about this in books and I'd heard about it, but no one had ever seen the footage. No one had ever seen that material. And just that scene, just that scene of, of the press conference, to understand how hard our kind of team of researchers work, we've probably got 20 or 30 different sources of footage that we piece together as a mosaic or a jigsaw puzzle to tell the story of one scene. So as he walks towards the door, that we one camera from one place, he comes through the door on the other side. We may have found one shot in Naples. The reverse shot will have been found in Buenos Aires. Something else will be from a Spanish show. Something else will be coming from a local Neapolitan channel that no one's ever seen and doesn't exist anymore. Something else will have come from Rye TV. We take all of this material and piece it together and then then tighten it up to like the key point. And the key point was, yeah, the first question from a French journalist. It's often the French journalists who ask the tough questions. First question was about the Camorra. You know, do you understand the Camorra here? And he, I don't think he knows what the guy's asking about. He really has no idea. Diego Maradona went from Barcelona to Naples and he really didn't know anything about Naples when he went there. This is the kind of world of football we're in. They were the only team willing to pay. So he went.
we go back to, to Barcelona and how that affected him, I mean, when I was talking about what my wife was, how I was explaining it to my wife when I first saw it at the, at the cinema, um, my young children who are eight and six came and watched some of it with me and they were fascinated. And I, I think then you sort of, you, you know, you re-realise re the, the magnetism of Maradona and how handsome he was and how dashing he was, particularly as a, as, as a young man. Um, but my younger son said to me, when it, you've got the, the shots of him being crocked when he was at Barcelona and when uh, he's, he's uh, going through his rehab after that, he said to me, um, Daddy, that's, that's just special effects, isn't it? Because it's just a film. And you realise then, actually, like all the Maradona-Messi comparisons for the reasons they're made, like, uh, they're just completely false because these two guys were playing different sports and he came from an incredibly brutal era and he went through an incredibly brutal period of treatment in Spain where he had to be a survivor to get through it. Yeah, I think, again, you... You know, I am of a certain generation and this is football as I grew up watching it and um, loving it and hating it, you know, because people did genuinely go out to break player like Diego Maradona's ankles and break his legs and would take them out and reduce them, you know, in the first couple of minutes and never get a booking. And kids now just don't understand this was normal. No. Um, and, you know, it's, it's violent. It's dangerous. The fights that used to happen on the pitches, the first matches that I ever went to, always had a punch up on the pitch at some point no one ever got sent off for it you know it was the kind of normal the state of the pitches the balls were different the kicks were different so partly i guess the film is sort of secretly a love letter to football of the 80s um <laughs> we, you know we grew up not having any live football you know we grew yeah. up with you know the english clubs being banned from europe so it was the football italia generation but again diego is just before football italia started gaza came the year Diego left and so that's when that started so we didn't even see any of this and um, we knew about Maradona I knew about Maradona because of the World Cups every four years you'd wait to see these great players like Zico or whoever it might be and so yeah it was a reminder of how football used to be and therefore when he got kicked and knocked over he's crawling on the floor to carry on running after the ball he's not rolling around 20 times to get a free kick and waving a yellow card at anyone that's not the way football used to be so I, I think that kind of argument about who's better and who's the greatest, I, I felt like this was my case to say why Diego Maradona is great, because you have to understand the context of when he was playing, how he was playing. We didn't even have time yes. to go into how every great player was in Italy at the same time, spread almost equally amongst the players. They weren't playing in Spain at the time. They weren't playing in England. They weren't in Germany. Everyone was in Italy because that's where the money was. And you could only have a certain number of foreign players. This is pre-Bosman. You know, the rules were so different to where we are now. You mentioned the World Cups there before, Asif, and um, I just wondered how you felt pouring over all the footage from the 86 World Cup and particularly the um, 86 quarter final between Argentina and England. Um, because certainly for me, I, I, I watched it as a, as, a, as a kid like you and I felt very different emotions re-watching it in the context of this film than 
I remembered when I originally saw it as a child. How was it for you and how differently did it feel? I mean, you know, that's that's a good question because I I don't know why I've never had a massive dislike of Diego Maradona. I remember what I felt at the time. I remember thinking maybe that, you know, perhaps that second goal would never have happened were it not for the first goal because, you know, are the yeah. players maybe still in shock by the fact that they feel they've been hard done by and cheated. And then he's able to, but still they wouldn't caught him even if they tried, you know. I, but I've never grown up disliking him in a way that a lot of people in England have, you know, and still carrying that weight because I am a football fan and I know that if one of my players falls over, gets a penalty and we score and we win that match, I don't complain, right? But if it happens on the other side, I'll go on about it. You know, there are teams that I like, there are teams that I really don't like. And if they win anything, I'll always find some excuse for why they were cheating or something. That's just (laughs) the nature of fandom, isn't it? But I'm also grown up enough to know that when I'm playing football, however badly, if it touches my hand, I'm not telling anyone. (laughs) And then if someone notices it, okay, fine, yeah, yeah, whatever. But I'm also going to be, I'm really mouthy on the pitch, right? I'm the most annoying, really bad footballer who talks too much at everyone else. So I'm just like, what's the big deal? You know, he was brilliant, but he also knew how to be smarter and cunning. And it's a classic Latin American thing. And so the part of the film was to explain that context of we're coming four years after a war between two countries where his country is absolutely humiliated and they were lied to and told they were winning. And it's only when they went to Spain in 82 where they realised they were losing and that people were dying. And none of this because they come from a military dictatorship where the press wasn't free, the news wasn't free. So you come from that society and then you get your chance to get your revenge. And if you're a street guy, the only way you can hurt someone, you can be better than them. That's easy. But if you can hurt them by being a little bit more cunning and cheating, that they're never going to forget that. And that's the truth. He did it. He did his job, didn't he? He got revenge in the best possible way. He was better and also more cunning, which is why it hurts so much. Maradona just walked away from Hoddleton. Maradona. Feeling for offside, the ball came back off the foot of Steve Hodge, and Maradona gives Argentina the lead. The England players protesting to the referee, but the little man who started it by walking past Glenn Hoddle, that's where the ball came from Hodge. Maradona had continued the run forward, and the goal is given. I think that's it. It's sort of confirmation bias, isn't it, retrospectively? And also, I think, a a bit of jealousy about how incredibly good he was. But whatever people's views of Maradona in 86, um, not just England, but large parts of of the world resented him by the time it got to 1990. And I think both, something, again, that's very clear in the film is um, not just the way the world sees him, but the way he reacts to the world around him is so different um, by 1990. Now, maybe that's because his drug addiction is at a very advanced point at that stage. Maybe it's because he's already asked to leave Napoli after uh, they they won the UEFA Cup in 89 and Fellaino, the president, said no and held on to him and justified it again retrospectively by saying, well, look, we've got the second Scudetto because... Um, I held on to, to to Maradona. But at this point, this is the peak in 1990 of Maradona being sort of simultaneously a golden boy, but 
motivated by this adversity and sense of injustice, isn't it? Yeah, anger, bronca, as uh, Daniel Arcucci would put it. This yeah. He needs to be angry to perform. He needs to have someone to argue with. We now know there's, a, there's quite a few players out there who, who are like that. If the crowd are booing, then they play better. And he was one of those guys. He liked the idea. He's never been someone who's particularly happy if everything's going well. He needs to pick a fight. That's just something in his character. He needs to have, you know, him, the team, the fans against the world. He's one of the first that I was aware of. That's the way he kind of existed. So if if anyone thinks that Argentina are not going to win the World Cup, then that means he's going to show you, which actually happened in 86. Even in 86, I don't know if you know, but hardly any Argentinian journalist traveled to Mexico because they thought the team was so bad, there was no point. So that's one of the reasons why he was out there getting angry that no one was thinking they were going to win. And so that's where the whole pancake song comes from. It's like the journalists are two-faced. Now that we're winning, they suddenly love us. But at the beginning, they thought we were crap. Um, so, yeah, well, by the time we get to 1990, he's, he's definitely picked more and more enemies. He's got he's wound up everyone. It's all brewing. It's all building up to a head, which we in our film try to show it as that penalty, essentially. It all builds up to one kick, one point. Diego takes the penalty, which is the penultimate penalty. If, if Italy lose, I mean, if Italy miss, they lose. And, of course, he scores it. And that's when really we decide, you know, that's when everything changes. We don't really show any football after that. That kick is, he wins the game, he gets to the final, but by winning, he's going to lose everything. And you also, in that sort of passage of the film, slay the, the popular myth that Naples was simply supporting Maradona and they didn't care about Italy. The split is a lot more marked and his reaction dictates where it goes next as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it is more complicated. It is really the... Neapolitans were conflicted. You know, they love Italy. They want to be treated like Italians. It's the rest of Italy that looks down upon them. They love him and they want him to win. So, you know, I think we've all had that. If you have a favourite player, you have a player that you love or you love your team. I do generally love my team more than England, right? I'm a Liverpool fan. I want Liverpool to win more than I want England to win. And I think I can't help that. So if you're Neapolitan, who spent all of your life being mocked having awful songs said about you, racist songs said about you by the rest of the country. Very rarely did Italy play in Naples. When they do play in Naples and lose on penalties, they blame the Neapolitans. And I think it was at least 20 years before Italy played in Naples again. So they remember the fact that, you know what? Diego never turned on us. The Italian Federation did, the other fans did, everyone else did, but Diego was always there for us. But by then, they'd also had enough of him. He wasn't training. He wasn't playing. He wasn't turning up. He was a very disruptive force. The players have never said a negative thing about him. All players always loved Diego Maradona. He was there for them. They're like, we don't care if he doesn't train. If he turns up, we feel better. Even if he just turns up the minute the game's about to start, we don't care. But you could see certain star players were getting a bit annoyed by it. So there was a tension within the team. And, I, you know, it seems like they, they kept him as long as they could in order to win. And then once he was broken, they were like, OK, we're done with you. And that's really the club. They got rid of him in a pretty bad way and didn't support him, didn't back him up, were not there for any of the tests in any of the key meetings where he was about to be banned. He was really left alone by then. It, it could be an opera. Yeah, it absolutely could. I, I do wonder when we look at football nowadays, and of course it's, it's changed beyond recognition, as you were saying before, Asif. I do wonder if that sense of um, celebrity spiralling out of control and overshadowing 
a talent and yet that standing in direct opposition to how the player's teammates look at him. It reminds me a little bit of Neymar, actually, even though their backgrounds, their situations are a little bit different. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, we only see, we've got to remind ourselves, even though we're in the media ourselves, we've got to remind ourselves that we only see a certain representation of a person. I don't know what Neymar's like in the dressing room, but you're right. People seem to like him. They want him around. He is brilliant, obviously, but he's quite a drama queen as well. But people want, would rather have him on the team than not. Um, mm. And I'm sure there's quite a few other cases. You know, there's a few tricky people like Suarez is a kind of interesting character. You know, yeah. he's the guy that when he's on your team, you love him. But when he's on the other side, God, you hate him. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, going back to Maradona as a persona, it's something um, Claudia, his, his wife, talks about, isn't it? Like he's Diego at home. But out there, he's Maradona. Again, it's something that his, his, his trainer talks about. And he says he'd, he'd go to the trenches with Diego, but he doesn't really care for, for Maradona. But it's something that Maradona is very conscious of, isn't it? That idea of playing a role in, in a different way, but a little bit like Zlatan Ibrahimovic. You know, I think he's fully aware that he's playing the character of Zlatan. He's playing a persona of, of Zlatan. How important is maradona the persona to protect him during his spell in naples i think i think it started really early actually with him i i was very aware looking at footage of of him really right back in argentina's juniors days where he would talk about himself in the third person you know he would all say well maradona's not happy so if maradona's not happy and the club are not happy with maradona then maradona will leave and i'll go somewhere else where they love me and you're like why he's 16 17 18 years old and he's he's already figured out how to sell himself on camera and he did that really young and that continues on so he he found a way to express himself and then there was this other guy who was a smiley guy who was a sweet guy that everyone really liked that was fun to be around who loved music loved to sing loved to dance loved to party but in a kind of healthy way was very charming you know Mm, you, you see footage you think he's got a beautiful smile and i remember claudia when we showed her the film she's she was telling his daughters, their daughters. Look at that smile. Told you they had beautiful teeth. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like you don't think of that when you think of Diego Maradona having really beautiful, bright eyes, this kind of mad perm haircut. But just when he smiles, you're happy. And it was mm. like really interesting. I, I felt the same. I'd watch his material. There's moody Maradona and then there's really sweet Diego. And, and somewhere along the way, that was a bit like a boxer building up a fight he found a way really young to to try to control the media and to say, this is what I'm going to tell you and this is what you will talk about. So if I'm not happy at Argentina's juniors and I want to go to Boca, I'm going to tell the press first and everyone runs around and Boca goes, what, he wants to come to us? We're going to have to buy him. And then when he's at Boca and he says, well, if Boca's not happy with me and I'll go off somewhere else, then he basically used to initiate his own deals by just suddenly coming out to a journalist and everyone would run around him. So that's a really interesting kind of controlling technique they had and some sort of protection, I guess, of himself. And and it was really partly this idea came out of a lot of the interviews I did in Naples where you could realise now he left Naples in 91. He's been back a few times, but the people who knew him in the peak Napoli era, most of them have never been able to get close to him again. So they have this dream and this image of this moment in their life, the best years of their life ever, when they were hanging around with Diego Maradona 
peak Diego Maradona, watching him play. They were close to mm-hmm. him. And they used to say, I wish he could become that guy again, because they were aware that he something had happened, something had changed. So a lot of people I met remembered the young guy and talked about the guy he is now as being someone quite different and quite tricky and not as not as warm and not as friendly. And really it was then Fernando Signorini, his trainer, who first kind of nailed it by saying, what else, Diego and Maradona? And then we, we've, I, that's when I thought that was a light bulb moment where I thought, ah, I think that's what the movie is. Whereas Senna was about his rivalry with Prost or the safety of the sport and, you know, mm. lots of external things. Amy was about members of the family or relationships or the media. With Diego Maradona, it's all in him. No one can force him to do something he doesn't want to do. No one, he will decide when he's going to do this or when he's going to do that and when he's going to lie and when he's going to tell the truth, when he's going to cheat, when he's going to be brilliant. It's all on him. And that's quite a hard thing to show in a movie. And the die's actually cast quite early, isn't it? I mean, it's one of the most heartbreaking moments at the back end of the film where Maria, his sister, says from the age of 15, he stopped having a life. Because at that point, he's the provider, he's the adult, he supersedes the parents. And from then, it's all on him, isn't it? And he's he's very aware of that. Yeah, there is some psychologists that I remember hearing. That moment when you start earning more money than your parents, you almost stop growing. You know, that's the point when people treat you differently. You're locked into that age. And so if you think about Diego Maradona, he's kind of like a 15-year-old. He's a brilliant footballer at that age, but he's also not necessarily that much that formed as a, as a character who's been able to deal with rejection or deal with making admitting that he's made a mistake or you know so you have a kid who does something who's caught red-handed and says I didn't do it and it, he's got an element of that about him he, he's the weight of the shoulders of a large family of parents who he loved who definitely did want to support them give them a home take them out of the ghetto take them out of the equivalent of a favela in in Via Ferrito yeah also hasn't really dealt with kind of maturing and all of the issues. And then at a very young age, 17, 18, gets taken away from his loving family. Remember, he grew up in a shack, okay? There were Mm. seven, eight of them in one room with no electricity, no water, no power, no loo. From that, he becomes the most expensive player in the world in Barcelona, living in a mansion. And why would he be able to deal with that? What's trained him in life to deal with that? When you look back at the thing as a whole, did the whole process of researching and making the film, Asif, change your view of Maradona as a player and as a man? Again, a really interesting question because there's the guy who he is now and the person that I met that I interviewed and spent time with in Dubai when he was living in Dubai. And then there's a guy that arrived in Naples who who I would say I didn't meet. And I really like that kid. I really like that guy. I really like the joy that he brings. And I love just amazed at just watching him do kickups on the back of his heel, you know, just something like that. And you're like, oh my God, you know, doing, doing training with his shoelaces undone and just enjoying it, being so happy. Mm. I really loved seeing that character and I wanted to show people this is really who Maradona is. Maradona isn't the joke person that appears on memes with all of those things where they make fun of his issues of addiction. You know, similar with Amy, 
it's like this guy was great this guy was amazing you should have a bit more respect and maybe because you don't understand who he is or where he's come from or what he's done you think he's a joke figure i don't think he's a joke i think he's an amazing serious he's an artist who changed the sport and because of him and because of his agent football is what it is now none of the players they wouldn't be earning the money they wouldn't have the protection were it not for people like him who suffered in yeah. order to show us the sport that we love you know all of them are crippled of that generation you know that's why the scene where he's having all his injection in his back are just as important as all the drugs that he was taking because that's what he did to play that was normal in those days so you talked about how he was excited when you you started doing the project did you feel that gratitude when you went to speak to him or was it just maradona holding court again and again have you ever met him, Andy? Never. So he's, um, he's a fascinating guy. I was lucky. I mean, I, I look back at it now. You know, I had nine hours with Diego Maradona. spread <laughs> over three interviews. So I had three three-hour interviews with him while he was living in Dubai. And actually, when he was living in Dubai, he was, he was, his home was pretty safe and quiet. I used to go to his home. You know, I've had, I've had a lot of meetings with him. So I've had the bad ones where you wait for days and nothing happens. And then I've had really good ones where he's in a really good frame of mind really good mood, really charming and sweet and happy. And you're like, I enjoy this person. I like being around this person. Then there's other days when he's not happy and not not in a good mood. And you're like, I'd rather not be here. Um, mm. So I met him quite a few times and I was lucky enough to have a range of kind of experiences with him. Um, I forget your question. Sorry, Andy, go ahead. Um, did you get the impression he was grateful for having been made the centrepiece? Okay. Yeah, he definitely struggled with the idea that I might want to talk to anybody else because it was a film about him. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, I'd call out to talk to Claudia. Why do you want to talk to Claudia? It's a film about me. I'm like, well, do you mind? No, he's with you. Yeah, what do you want to talk to them for? They're, they're piece of shit. You know, that person, they owe me money. They stole from me. I'm like, yeah, but they were like close to you for quite a long time. And so he struggled with the idea that anyone else is important in a film about him. On the other hand, on the other hand, which is typical hit Maradona, if you think about it, on the other hand, he was a big fan of Senna. So he liked that film a lot and he was a big fan of Ayrton. And so that film did help a lot to get us in the room. And then while we were doing the deal, you know, my producers were doing a deal, Amy won an Oscar. So that really helped. So all of these other projects, when a person who's won an Oscar, the person who made a film about Ayrton Senna, making a film about me, yeah, I'm up for it. I mean, if it wasn't for all of that other stuff, I don't think I ever would have got in a room, particularly an English person. You know, a person coming from England, not able to speak Spanish, not speaking Italian, somehow making a film about him. You know, probably a lot of people in the team thought, you know, this will be easy money. But actually, I did want to meet him and talk to him and wanted to ask some of the difficult questions, which I, the first time I brought them up, you know, he literally would say, why are you bringing that person up? I don't care about that person. They lie. They're a cheater. They're this. So I'd have to save them up for the next meeting and the next meeting. But eventually we did go there and we did talk about it. And um, he did get quite annoyed, actually, because he has a, he has a brilliant um, way of, I ask him a question, for example, about Diego Jr., the son that he had, that he wanted and really wanted. And then when he had denied was his and lied for 30 years. I mean, what, who, who would, you know, for 30 years denying he has a child and a son that he really wanted in Naples. So I'm asking him about Diego Jr. And he would give me this really amazing, long, eloquent answer. And because I don't speak the language, I'm waiting for the translation. And then I'd go, what? 
he's talking about Seb Blatter for 20 minutes. Like, well, how, how do you get on Seb Blatter? <laughs> and you go into the corruption of FIFA and how awful they are. And they should all be in jail. And, they be, and I'm like, that wasn't my question. So then I'd go, I'd ask it again and I'd ask it again. And eventually he'd realize I'm not going to take the time bombs. You know, he's used to speaking to journalists. He's spoken to how many journalists has Diego Maradona spoken to mm. in his life? He knows if you ask me a difficult question, I'll just give you something about Grondona. And then next minute, you've got your headline. Moving on. I'm like, that's not useful to me, Diego. I want to ask you about you and about your family and about some of the challenging things. So I'd go back and interrupt him, which he's not used to, having people interrupt him, ask him the question again, ask him the question again. And eventually he just looked at me and said, you know, you've got a real nerve. <laughs> Who do you think you are asking me these questions? Who do you think you are? And it was a really long pause. And it was very awkward. And of course, I'm listening on translation. So I'm nodding and smiling at the beginning while he's going, who the hell do you think you are? And then my face sort of changes when I hear the translation. I go, oh. But then he goes, but for that, I have to say I respect you. Because very few people would have the nerve to ask these questions to my face. They always ask them to my back. So for a short moment, he said he respected me. Diego Maradona said he respected me for having the nerve <laughs> to ask these questions. But I would say this. At the end of that interview, I never saw him again. So I asked these tough questions. I always thought I had one more interview left. And my intention was to make the film, edit a film, and go back to Dubai and show him the film and then do the final interview. But, um, you know, situation changed. It was 2018. He suddenly decides to leave Dubai. He takes a job in Belarus. I don't know if you remember that. He yes. became a chairman of a kind of team in Belarus. So I'm planning right, to go yeah. to Belarus. And then he says, no, 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 I'm going to be in Colombia. So I'm like meant to fly to Colombia. And then he says, no, 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 I'm going to be in Moscow for the World Cup. He got a job working for the World Cup in Moscow. He said, come to Moscow. I'm like, I don't think this is going to be a good time to show you this particular movie, actually. Um, so I didn't go to Moscow. And we saw what Diego was like during the World Cup in 2018. Yeah. And he ended up in Sinaloa in Mexico. And I'm like, I'm not in a hurry to go to Sinaloa right now. So I'll wait till you go to Argentina. I went to Argentina and by then the film came out. And um, what did he make of it? Did you ever hear what he made of it? No. <laughs> he just, it's Diego Maradona. He will never do the thing that you expect. He will <laughs> never you know, Everyone, I remember when the film first came out, a lot of journalists sort of wrote about how, well, you know, this is the official version of Diego Maradona's life. And I was like, how can it be the official version if he's never seen it? We never got any notes from him. And put this in it. It's like, you know, we had far more notes when we were making Senna from the foundation and the family, far more notes when we were making Amy, and they were not alive. Because weirdly enough, the estates are more bothered about the representation of people than when someone's alive like Diego, he's just, just off doing the next thing, you know. Mm. So I don't know if you've seen it. I mean, it's on, it's streaming in Argentina on a channel, Direct TV. Everyone there is seeing it, or people are seeing it. I'm sure he's got that football channel, but. Um, you, you know, when you deal with Diego, there's an element of the people around him. You never know how much gets to him and how much is being held back by the team around him. Do they think it's not in their interest to show the film to him? He's not one for looking back and ever admitting he's made a mistake. So there's certain things in the film that maybe they're worried about or he doesn't want to recognise or, you know, I don't know. This 
was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. 